For 25 years, Calmore has been creating master plan communities and building new homes that prioritize the well-being of the families who will live in them. Its goal is to offer residents closely knit communities through providing a social framework as well as better living in a luxury environment. Continuing this tradition, Calmore is making wellness the essence of its future communities, many of which are in York Region. In addition, Kyle Moore believes in the importance of strong and unified communities and through its policy of social responsibility, aims to create a lasting positive impact. To learn more, visit kylemoreliving.com. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Hello, my name is Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door and I am so pleased to be the host of On The Way Home. We come to you weekly, we talk about all things housing, homelessness, mental health, addictions, anything related to housing and all those things are. It is brought to you by the good people at Blue Door and of course the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. What is happening at Blue Door right now? Blue Door has a construction social enterprise called Construct. It's pretty cool. It's a construction company, but with a social purpose, we prevent people from falling in homelessness because we get them into high paying and cool jobs that they love doing, uh, their careers. And you know from there, they're able to afford housing uh, in their area and prevents them from falling into homelessness. It's pretty cool. And guess what? It generates a little bit of income for Blue Door too. So we can then build housing and do housing programs that support people from uh, falling into homelessness as well. So everybody wins. We're looking at expanding that a little bit across the country. So that's pretty cool. It's a preventative program. The Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, as always, is doing really, really cool work. Listen, if your community wants to be a built for zero community, and it should, check out their website at caeh.ca. Look at their built for zero work. Uh, lots of things coming up shortly. There's a big city that just saw a 10% reduction in chronic homelessness. I won't say where, but we've seen that across Canada and built for zero communities, reductions, dramatic reductions in chronic homelessness as they become built for zero communities. Very cool. Well, we have an awesome guest today. Uh, we often on this podcast talk about learning from each other. And that doesn't just mean in our own community, in our own province, in our own country. It means from around the world. There's different things that are going on. A lot of similarities in the way people are experiencing homelessness uh, and lots of innovative and different approaches to it as well. And today's guest, we're going to talk with him a little bit about that. Today, we have someone from across the pond. We have Matt Downey, who is the chief executive at Crisis. I love this intro, too, because it speaks to his character. Uh, very humble. It's a very short and sweet intro. Uh, Matt's worked at Crisis since 2014. In 2019, he was awarded an MBE for services on tackling homelessness and in 2022 became chief executive. Prior to that, uh, prior to Crisis, Matt worked at Action for Children. Here's a great quote I wrote down here from Matt. 
uh, that I loved. It says, it is completely unacceptable that homelessness exists in modern Britain and around the world as well. I think that would apply. At the heart of every story of homelessness is a human story of lost potential. With the right help, there is nobody whose homelessness cannot be ended. With the right policy changes, we can see a future where homelessness is a thing of the past. I can't wait to get started. And that was when he uh, accepted the job uh, as chief executive at Crisis. I love that Matt's talking about policy because we've talked about it on the show time and time again that homelessness is the result of bad policy and it can only be resolved with good policy. And I just love the optimism in there uh, around that statement. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. That was lovely. Thanks very much. Matt, we, uh, we start the show with the same question for every guest. There's similarities, but always a little bit different for everyone because it's personal. What does home mean to you? Well, home means to me, um, home means safety from risk, actually, from my perspective. I think the home is your ability to not just shut the door on the, on the worries outside of that door, but for a sort of cocoon of safety. Um, and that what that does, what that does for you is, um, well, for me anyway, is unlock the ability to relax, to think, to be yourself. Uh, so, so home, you know, home is, is bricks and mortar, but it's also a state of mind from my perspective and in my experience. And, and when you've experienced the fear of homelessness and the anxiety of, of not, not knowing where you're, you know, your next, um, have that security. It's so, so much more, um, than simply who you pay your rent to or, to or which walls you paint. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting, as many of our guests do, uh, it's, you don't really focus on the bricks and mortar, but it is that state of mind, as you said, and safety is a huge part of that. That's where I feel safe. That's where I can relax. That's where I sleep. That's where I take my meals and all that kind of stuff, all those basic needs in life. So, yeah, very, very much so. Now, you've been involved with Crisis since 2014. Can you take us on a journey, uh, what you've been working on over the last eight years? Yeah, when I, when I came to, to crisis, I was really worried that I could add no value because I, from the outside, I thought crisis is, is exactly the sort of organization that I have admired from the outside, which is one that's comfortable in its own skin, diagnosing a systematic and systemic policy issue, as well as helping people in the emergency of their personal circumstances. And most of the charities I'd worked in beforehand hadn't quite found that sense of comfort and therefore we're, we're in a point where, you know you could you could sense the anxiety or the dysfunction whereas crisis felt to me like it was flying and that that you know you you would be joining a an already kind of really really highly productive organization and into into in many ways that was absolutely true but i guess i guess the thing that i immediately saw i could add value to was it felt more it felt more like a protest movement when I joined than it does do today and that's not to say that we should lose the urgency and the anger and the, and the frustration about the persistence of homelessness um, it's it's that actually to achieve the solutions you need to persuade decision makers that there are solutions um, and you may hear some sirens behind me I live on <laughs> <laughs> I work on a main road that's a bit of a rat run for that. Um, the, so 
what I was really after was was to create uh, a solutions machine that was based on on a diagnosis of what it would take to unravel the really the really key um, barriers to resolving homelessness. And and I would say uh, we've done some of that. I think that there is there are some things that are better uh, because of of the work of lots of people in this organisation and the people that we've collaborated with. Uh, but there are still huge, un, unmoved kind of boulders of, of frustration that stand before us. And in some ways, some things have got worse over a kind of post. And it's sort of uh, the, the last eight years has been marked by austerity in Great Britain. And what that does to kind of both create and really, really kind of solidify the reality of homelessness for people is, is really, really awful. And so, you know, you, you can be as optimistic as you like. Um, you have to be work in the context you're in now as well. So, yeah, we've had some we've had some big successes in terms of policy changes, in terms of um, making making clear to a much larger group of people that there is a homelessness issue, that it can be resolved, and actually bringing to bear a lot of the international evidence about how we can be hopeful on this issue. I'm a true internationalist when it comes to homelessness because there is so much. Um, not just goodwill, but good evidence about how to tackle this issue that exists outside of, of our country. And I'm acutely aware that we're in no position to lecture anybody else. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting you say that. And I think for the longest time, uh, many years ago, we were working in our silos and thinking we had to do everything on our own. But if good research exists that we could build upon, uh, why not for sure? Let, let, you talked a little bit about crisis in the past before 2014. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization, its focus, its origins, how it came about uh, and what it's really kind of aiming towards now? Yeah, so the organization was set up 55 years ago by a couple of aspiring politicians who, um, I mean, th this was back when, when the East End of London was still uh, badly bomb damaged and there was rubble in the streets and people would, um, that you know uh, clergymen would go around picking up dead bodies in the winter from the rubble and that kind of stuff where you know deep deep entrenched poverty um, and it was set up as a sort of campaigning movement uh, a fundraising effort particularly over christmas and for 30 years of its existence it was just that it was just some volunteers doing that um, i'm only the fourth chief executive of this organization in 55 years and it's it's now grown into something where the, the idea is that you provide services, but not, not so that, you know, um, every person who's homeless is helped by us, but how we, so that we demonstrate that there are solutions, demonstrate some different ways of doing things, um, and that we use that to inform uh, a wide range of policy and practice kind of solutions as well, because I think, I think we are still I'm, I'm utterly convinced that it is poli policy, bad policy, that creates and sustains homelessness, and it's good policy that will get us out of that. Um, alongside, really, some shifts that need to be made to modernise the approach to homelessness itself. And there's, it, you know, if there's one thing I really hope to achieve in my time, it's, it's to see a shift in the way in which people who experience homelessness are regarded, because there's a deep, deep cultural norm that sees uh, people labelled as inevitably homeless. Uh, it's their fault or it's their failing and therefore we should limit our expectations for what people's lives will be if they've experienced homelessness. You see it all the time. People's, people's own prospects are, are damaged more by the labels people put on them than by their own potential in any way. Um, so that's, th there are things that are 
therefore slightly deeper than just getting the policies right. We need to turn the juggernaut of or the oil tanker of public attitudes on this issue as well and, and in broader poverty. So we do all those things. Um, and importantly, I think for these, this conversation, we do them not just in England, but in Scotland and Wales. And what we've seen in recent years is a, is a really dramatic turnaround in the policy landscape and the ability to do something about homelessness in Scotland and Wales completely differently from, from in England and in, in, from our Westminster government. So, yeah, I'm really hopeful, actually. And I, and I think the, you know, the next few years will be about not, not just convincing homeless, uh, people that homelessness can be ended, but into the meat of, well, OK, well, exactly how are we going to do it? Very, very cool uh, and exciting. Now, let, for people who may not know, uh, we've got listeners from across Canada, but around the world, people who may not know, can you paint a, a bit of a picture of how homelessness might look in, in Scotland, Wales and, and Liverpool? Um, well, so the way that homelessness looks in, in England, Scotland and Wales, I might perhaps go to the specifics of Liverpool in a slightly different way. Um, the, so so we, we, our services are, are active in cities across across the three those three nations and uh well so the, the bare fact of it is that you are twice as likely to be homeless in england than in scotland um there isn't twice as much poverty in england as there is in scotland um there isn't twice as much housing as there is you know in scotland there is in all of this is down to rearranging how homelessness is dealt with and a shift away from um temporary and emergency accommodation a shift away from um sort of homelessness accommodation being the default kind of response for people. So yes, there is an increase in, in Housing First programmes, for example, but, the, but the, more, the much more important thing is that some of those Housing First principles now implicate government policy, uh, hostels and night shelters. Um, could, hostels and night shelters have been closed down systematically in Scotland um, and, you know, it's not it's not all perfect, but but we're seeing a complete shift. So uh, in, in England, that's not happening. There are some pilots for some different ways of, of thinking. And we've done some work working with different city mayors and, and, and in specific places to model out how that transition might happen. But it's not it's not there yet. And, and the, sort of some of the kind of political winds are against us in those in those efforts as well. But we used to talk about how you know, the example was Finland and we would say, you know, come, come to Helsinki and see, see a city without any rough sleeping, um, see, a, see a, a country that's closed down all of its shelters, um, where there's sufficient housing benefit for people to pay their rent, etc, etc. Um, and we don't have all of those things, but now uh, we do say come to Scotland because uh, the, particularly the pandemic really sped the progress here um, and in, in cities with as, as kind of uh, complex a range of issues as Glasgow, which has some very deep uh, issues in, um, over many, many years, it's nevertheless true that there's a, a small handful of people that are now rough sleeping. Um, and all of the, you know, the major big um, or really old fashioned accommodation projects have been closed down. So if you can do it there, you can certainly do it anywhere. Um, and we don't need to take people to Helsinki anymore. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart.
Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. <laughs> well, well said. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe the, I think they'll welcome the break because everyone points there. It's great to hear the good things happening uh, in Scotland. Um, you've been working on so Crisis has been working on national transformation plans. Uh, which I'm assuming with the goal of reducing, preventing, ending homelessness in, in Scotland and Wales. Can you tell us a little bit about how these kind of originated um, and what's all involved? Yeah, yeah, thanks. So the, um, the two big uh, transformation plans that are up and running now in Scotland and Wales came from, um, so a, a few years ago in 2018, actually for our 50th anniversary, I wrote an enormous um, tome it was a big book of about 500 pages, which was, uh, well, which is entitled uh, Everybody In uh, How to End Homelessness in Great Britain. And it broke down systematically the policy changes and the changes in, in service investment and in um, how, how services are delivered that would be necessary to end homelessness over a 10 year period in England, Scotland and Wales. And we took it, took that plan to each of the governments um, and said, we, this is an offer to you and it's fully costed and all the rest of it. We would love to work with you if you'd like to d develop one based on this blueprint for, um, for Scotland, Wales and England. And it has at its heart a couple of things which are um, principles. One, one is that uh, we, we prescribe a housing-led approach so everyone should have their own home. And with your own home, the question then is how much support do you need, if any? Um, and the second thing is that the um, legal and practice and, and kind of cultural barriers that are put in front of people that say some people get help and some, some don't are in themselves creators and sustainers of homelessness. So we, we take a completely comprehensive view here to say, it doesn't matter where you were born. If you're homelessness in this country, you should be helped. Um, it doesn't matter if you've fallen down to the bottom of the queue in previous systems. Uh, that shouldn't define your future now. And we took those principles, and they were they were very the Welsh and Scottish governments were very very interested. And and so Scotland went first, and um, they they ran a program which my predecessor um, was heavily involved in to work out what exactly that would mean for Scotland. Um, the um, the government put a lot of money behind it and there's a specific thing that, that came out of it which is a, a five-year transition plan. So every local area in Scotland was asked to produce a five-year transition plan from the old way of doing things to the new. Um, and we are absolutely seeing results. Um, and that same formula was used in Wales, uh, which is a few years behind Scotland and I'm now, now have very, very heavily involved with that work in, for the Welsh Government. Um, th some, you know, some things have sped progress, so the pandemic has, has actually helped some of the things that we wanted to, to make progress on. Um, some things have got worse because of the pandemic um, and some pressures have got much, much higher. So, for example, right now, 
Um, there are thousands of people from Ukraine fleeing the war, taking up lots of, um, quite rightly, taking up temporary accommodation um, in, in, in areas where otherwise that, that, you know, that some of that housing might be used for the homelessness kind of um, policies. But that's, you know, that's circumstantial. These things will come and go. The point is there, is a, there, there are organising principles, there is money, there is government policy and there's a plan and there is, a, there is now sector-wide um, almost universal consensus about using this, this approach, this rapid rehousing, this housing-led approach to, to realise something that we can all be proud of in Scotland and Wales. Um, so that, it, it, it can be so frustrating that, you know, I mean, it com completely compared to Canada, this is a tiny country. And so, it's, so it's, you know, to have two bits of it that are doing really well, whereas the middle bit, which is slightly bigger, um, isn't going for... Uh, these quite obviously like sensible decisions can be really, really frustrating, but we fight on. And we have a new Prime Minister as of today, so uh, we'll see how we get on. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. She's actually being sworn in now. I mean, of course, this will, will drop a little later on, but uh, uh, right today as we're speaking, she's being sworn in, or has been, because you're a little ahead. So that's uh, very interesting. And I know over the years, with homelessness, um, in the UK, it really, you've ceded to this as governments change, right? You get to a different point, new government steps in, not a priority, things change, homelessness goes back up, uh, et cetera. So we, we won't go too far uh, on that. You talked about some of the early results from the work that you're doing. Can you share some of the things that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, so the, uh, the, the most important thing, um, the most important data point that I've now got at my disposal when it comes to questions with politicians is that I can show that you achieve totally different rates of homelessness depending on, on, on the policies that you choose. And we have a, we have a controlled experiment in, in England not doing very much, but with Scotland and Wales doing lots. Um, we also have, um, so, so I mean, yeah, there, there, is, there is a dramatic fall in homelessness across the board, um, a, a, a but um, when you look at the predictions that we have uh, for England, if things continue as they are, we'll go from around about 200,000 to 300,000 people experiencing the worst forms of homelessness. So we've got, we've got data points going up in one direction and down in the other. Um, I think that one, of, one of the main things is, though, that we've... So for years, organisations like mine dreamt of a situation of, of a government saying yes. What if you stopped having to protest and they just said, yes, let's work together? So that is now what's happening with Scotland and Wales. Um, and of course, what you have to learn is it's a bumpy road. Life happens to you. External conditions happen. Um, not everything works as perfectly as you might want. What if, what if you know, a cost of living crisis comes along and all of a sudden nobody can afford their rent and their energy costs, which is what's going on at the moment. Um, but homelessness rates are, are much lower in Scotland and Wales and... Uh, no, there there are struggles, and local councils in those areas will tell you that you know certainly nothing's perfect, but we are we have seen the end of what seems totally inevitable in other parts of the world, which is street destitution um, in Scotland and Wales. Um, and it's not that there are no, there are no people on the streets, but it's single figures. You know, in big cities, it's single figures. So I, there's a lot that the, a lot of the local organisations and outreach teams and others should be really, really proud of. The thing I'm most pleased about, though, is that is this point about uh, having achieved. So from a few years ago, 
where no one was really talking about uh, concepts like rapid rehousing or making a transition away from the staircase model and those sorts of things. Now it's completely everyday language for people. Um, and we're finally listening to, to people with lived experience of homelessness themselves who say, I am sick of months and years in, in degrading congregate accommodation that does nothing for me, in fact sometimes makes my life worse. How about I'm entitled to my home of my own just like, just like you are? Um, and that, that is, that's absolutely crucial. So yeah, I, I think we've established a whole bunch of principles. Um, it's now about the hard work of getting that, that's, that you know, fully delivered. Um, I've always, what I've always said to the Scandinavians is, can you paint us a picture of what it looks like to have a society without these things? Not just the absence of the bad things, but what does the good look like? When a society doesn't have to live with this, what, what's the positive side of it? What is that unlocked potential? Not just kind of, oh yeah, remember when we used to have to um, walk past hundreds of people on the high streets, you know? Yeah, well said, well said, and, and there's there's many. Uh, what about surprises? Like anytime you do research at times, you, you think, you, you probably know or are anticipating some of the outcomes, but sometimes things come out of it that you weren't anticipating. Any surprises so far? Yeah, I think I think the biggest surprise for me has been, and, and this is one of the things that really holds back progress in, in a number of places uh, in England, like London and um, other big cities, is... Um, that wanting to do things differently to get different results can often come across as a judgment on people who have worked in homelessness systems and services for years. And it's been a real learning point for me that being excited about doing things differently should never, should never, we should never let that slip into some form of kind of um, declaration about how everything has been uh, you know, badly delivered up until that point because people have dedicated their lives whole careers in many cases um, to helping people um, and no, no one wants to hear well why did I do that then if you suddenly turn up here and tell me we, we should just shut down this hostel and put everyone in their own home and just support them there you know that that is a really difficult message um, and I've got myself in trouble with that in the past um, not necessarily because I've ever said it out loud or even thought it but people can definitely get that impression. So it's an, it's an inclusive thing. And the other thing I've really learned, and I have to say, I started learning this when I, when I came to um, the Canadian Alliance Conference a few years back, where it was very clear to me um, that resolving and ending homelessness is part of uh, racial justice and equality and, and um, almost unification for, for Canada in many ways. Um, and actually, we totally ignored that. We don't have anything like the same issues in terms of um, the specifics of, the, of Canadian examples. But what we do have is the fact that homelessness discriminates in this country as much as it does in Canada. It discriminates in slightly different ways to slightly different people. Um, but the way in which, you know, you, you know, your um, immigration status directly informs whether or not you become homeless, particularly high rates of homeless amongst our black communities, trans communities, various other things, is totally ignored at a systemic level in this country. And I think I've 
personally been a bit too late to the party on this one in the sense that the prescriptions we've got for kind of what what the what the big ticket solutions for homelessness are have ignored that so yeah maybe they're the two big lessons so far i'm sure i've got lots more to learn now it's so interesting as you know all of that what you just said uh, and we have similar experiences i mean just in canada when you think about everything's housing 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 as it should be but there's a lot of people who said, hey, there's a, I've been running these shelters for years. We've saved all sorts of lives. We've changed lives. We've helped to house people. And now people are all saying, you know, there's a negativity that kind of goes along with it that, that doesn't. But we're, there's always going to be a need, you know, for some type of emergency shelter, emergency housing. Right. And, and so not to come crashing like that. That's such a, a wise thing to, to learn. And as you said, of course, absolutely the intersections of. Uh, of race and homelessness are, are there. In fact, we uh, just last week, we dropped a podcast with uh, Dr. Antoine Lavelle, who's talking a lot about that. Um, so so what are, you, you've done this work, you're getting some amazing results. What are next steps and are there plans to execute in more areas, as you said, like these are, and it kind of happens in Canada as well, where you, you try it out in the smaller areas, you get it going. Some of the larger areas are a little tougher. Um, so what are plans? Yeah, so uh, uh, there, are, there are a number of things we really haven't nailed yet and that we're, we're still learning from others on. It's really interesting to hear you um, give a shout out to the Built for Zero scheme in, in Canada. We are, um, well, we're going to launch that in England uh, and Scotland and Wales. Uh, that we need to launch a version of it which is ours uh, because you're, you have a very different context. You know, we, we don't, you know, there are a number of things that are totally different to Canada and, and well, even more different to the states where where built for zero runs you know we don't have the homeless veterans issue that you do for example but the, that that idea of place-based community-based uh, grassroots action um is is completely um there for the taking i think in terms of the support we can provide the other thing is i what i would like to do my my dream scenario uh, for crisis and therefore really for, for an, um, a number of sector, sector partners that we have here is not just to demonstrate a difference in the, the policy wins, and we do need those policy wins, we have chronic housing shortage, etc. Um, it's to demonstrate a totally different level of success for individuals. Um, and I, you know, our services, and we, we, we're really proud of our services, they're entirely sort of uh, well, they're self-funded. Nobody pays us to do this. We just recruit, um, you know, supporters from the general public who help us pay for services, and we do we do wonderful things. But what we have never done is set up our own housing association, for example. Um, and my big lesson from from Finland was actually maybe maybe if everyone else is taking too long, you should get busy and just do it yourself. Uh, so. What, what about if, if crisis was really interested in in not just helping to um, helping people out of their uh, on their journey out of homelessness but being the solution in some ways we might we might challenge the conception of what homelessness charity is in doing so and actually give a hefty kind of hold up a hefty mirror to our housing market and a lot of our big housing associations who were set up to actually do this work 50, 60, 70 years ago, but seem to have become more commercial as operations now. Um, so I, I'm, I'm feeling the need for us to be, be a bit more kind of um, interventionist to demonstrate um, that 
ending homelessness for individuals at much higher success rates is entirely possible um, and letting that be the kind of fly on the ointment of the assumptions of, of kind of low-grade expectations about whether people will exit homelessness or not um, whilst absolutely holding the feet to the fire for for the politicians who I mean it's now I, I think it's inexcusable for any politician who's interested in homelessness to say uh, well, well that's just too hard we don't know what to do because there are so many examples um, it's just about the political will so yeah I'm just hopeful and energetic on, on all those fronts I guess Michael now we can feel that and that is fantastic I love what you're saying here um, where can people find out more about the work you're doing if they're interested in reading up on it uh, looking into the details etc is there somewhere they could go yeah just go to crisis.org.uk um, or just get in touch. I mean, I tell you what, I, I I live off and I feed off the kind of <laughs> the energy and the ideas and the and uh, frankly, like stealing good ideas from other places as well. So um, yeah, if there's anything that you think um, or your listeners um, think we could do differently in this country, um, there's definitely a lot. I, I would love to hear, particularly about what. Uh, what the pandemic has meant in terms of speeding progress and doing things differently because I'm sure there are loads of fantastic stories from across Canada. Absolutely uh, you know absolutely there are and we saw I think even in uh, the greater Toronto area where I am you saw that there's a lot of political will and there's a lot of dollars invested in how quickly our sector can move to prevent it and homelessness if given those resources and, and having that political will it can happen quick silver lining coming out of it uh, Nick Falvo uh, a researcher in this area uh, in Canada does a lot of work around it he actually said we haven't seen the, we'll see the worst of the pandemic three years after it because people will have exhausted the resources now speaking of which I have a quick question for you I know today you have a new prime minister the biggest thing to tackle I think her biggest thing right now is that cost of living that you imagine that, that you mentioned earlier what are your thoughts? What are your hopes? Yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, it, and it's all anyone's talking about in this country. The, we did some analysis the other day that showed that people on the lowest incomes um, right now are um, they, the best they can do is a budget that would, well, basically their living costs are about 133% of their income. And that's for people on, on, on low incomes and benefits. There's just no way. I, I was talking to uh, one of our, our clients the other day, a guy called David, who's been a rough sleeper and, and we, we've been helping. He's currently in a hotel and we're, we're getting him into a place of his own. And he just looked me in the eye and said, OK, and, and once I'm in, in a place of my own, how the hell am I going to pay my gas and electric bill? I'll be evicted before, you know, before you know it. So she's got to... I mean, there is just no alternative. We need the the full uh, weight of the state to get behind covering the costs of extreme inflation. We've got 18% inflation coming in this country. Uh, people are having to pay £6,000 um, electricity bills in the autumn. There is just no way. We will see uh, the sorts of um, households becoming homeless that are only really very rarely homeless through kind of natural disaster and things like that becoming homeless if she does nothing so uh, everyone is shouting for the rooftops on this you know this is about immediate cash assistance to, to low income or even middle income families otherwise it's it's just a false economy not to because people will end up homeless wow yeah a big task ahead 
let's hope she is up for the challenge. You are definitely up for the challenges that are ahead of you. I think it gives uh, myself and the sector uh, a lot of hope uh, for the UK having leaders like yourself at the forefront of this. Congrats on the work you've done so far and look forward to having you back on uh, when some of those uh, other results roll forward and when you've, uh, you're, you're, you're telling the world about how uh, everywhere in the UK is like Finland, right? We'll visit not just Scotland, but uh, there'll be many, many others. So thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks, Michael. Well, there you see it once again. We've had guests on from Australia. We've had guests on from the UK um, and other parts of the world. As much as we are a little different, we are alike with the challenges we face. Um, and But the solutions to it can be shared across the world, around the world. Um, and you hear some great things happening that um, Matt and his team are working on. Uh, listen up, check them out, go to their website, and as always, continue to listen to this podcast where we bring you the challenges and solutions that are happening around the world in this sector. Thanks so much for joining, for listening today, and we'll see you next time on The Way Home. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.